welcome to Chi Alpha. I'm so, so glad that you're here with us this evening. This year feels like it's flown by, right? 2021, at least for me, it's going quick. I cannot believe that we are starting our last sermon series for the semester tonight. Oh, I was hoping you're all going to be like, oh, dang it, I'm so sad. The rest are like, yeah, I want to go home. I want to play video games all day in the summer. Amen. Uh, someday. This past week, we had our very first service and for our home church, Sent Church, in our new building, and it was just incredible to see God move. We're so thankful, and that's amazing. But I'll be honest, that building took a lot of work, and our Sent Church staff team is a member of one, which is my older brother, so it became me and John Griffin also helping build all the stuff. So I'm a little tired. We've been working on that building a lot. I think that's part of the reason why this semester's gone so quickly, because we've been in that tundra of a building, but now it looks so pretty, and that carpet, you best not be staining anything on it. No coffee stains, no popcorn stains. Like, if I see Leonard with a caramel thing on the carpet, oh, he's in for a spanking. Anyways, as we go into the end of the semester, I think it's easy to kind of rush it away, right, and try to get done. Some of you are graduating, some of you are moving, some of you just hate your classes and want to get it done. So, like, I get it. But I think God has got some big things in store for these last five weeks. Amen? Amen. One of those awesome things that God has in store is called Bring a Friend Night next week. Let's get pumped. Let's get excited for all our friends that are going to be here. Yeah. Uh, Bring a Friend Night is always incredible. One of two things happen. Either a bunch of new people come and they meet Jesus, or none of us bring friends and we all come sad. So let's not all come sad, right? That's what's happened. Be honest, last couple times, everyone's like, I don't have any friends. They're all here. I don't have any friends. Let's go make some friends then this week. Amen. We all have an opportunity to go outside of our comfort zones and maybe meet some new people this next week or introduce our current friends to Jesus through bringing them to this place. If you are one of the friends that maybe was brought tonight or if you're a new person with us, I do want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming in the middle of the semester and checking something out. I pray that you'll feel welcome, that you'll feel loved, and that you feel at home here in Chi Alpha. Our prayer is that you will encounter the love of God and grow with your friends closer to Jesus in this place. All right, I want you guys to all raise your hand if you absolutely love being told no. Anyone? Yep, I knew someone in the back would raise their hand. Thank you, Angel. (laughs) None of us want to be told no, right? If I'm honest, when I was growing up, I wasn't really told no a whole lot. I'm the youngest of five, and my older siblings are a little bit more rowdy than I am. They're all like out getting crazy, doing things in the backyard they shouldn't have been doing. And my direct older brother, Pastor Daniel, our pastor at Scent Church, is a little bit more aggressive than I am. He's a little bit more in your face. I'm kind of reserved, quiet. He's like, like screaming at everyone, like, just figure it out. So because he was so aggressive, I got to kind of sneak by. And I got to kind of do what I wanted because I wasn't as angry as he was. So my parents were like, all right, you're fine. And this was all great, except there was this one time. But I got in some trouble, and I was told no. And I did not like it at all. I was six years old, and we had this dog, Spike. Spike sucked, Okay? He was a terrible, terrible dog. He would, like, bite people. He would run away. He'd growl at people. He was mean. He's the exact opposite of my current dog, Captain Steve Rogers Quimby. If you haven't met him, he's about this big. He's very nice to everyone. He's also a butt, but it's, he loves people so much. His isn't because he's mad at everyone. His is because he just wants to play with everyone he meets. Spike just wanted to bite everyone he met. He wasn't as fun. So it was Christmas time, and Spike was being his usual self, and he stole my Santa hat, you know, like the stocking. And I was mad. I'm to be honest with you guys, I was sick of Spike's crap, okay? He'd been doing this for too long. So I stomped on his head. <laughs> my mom sent me to my room, 
it told me that that was mean and that I shouldn't hit our dog. And I reasoned with her and said, you know, you are in fact incorrect. Spike is a butt. If I want to stomp on his head, I think I've earned that right. She then told me no, that even though I felt justified, I cannot hit our dog. And then, well, actually, I, let me just show you what happened. If we can, if we can get the v- sound up. Oh, that's a little Derek. Spike, get up Don't you do, you go to your room. You don't do that again. You go to your room right now. You do not kick a dog in the head. What are you doing, Derek? Are you in trouble in here? Do you want to come out of your room? Derek, turn around and look at me. Do you want to come out of your room? Okay, why are you in your room? No, why are you in your room? You you tried to stomp on his head, honey. Why did you do that? All right. Well, we don't need to play it again. In case you're going to hear the odd, okay. All right. We can celebrate. All right. I was a cute, chubby kid. Leave me alone. So, in case you couldn't hear the audio, my mom asked me first off, I asked her, is the camera on? And she said, no. I was like, Mom, you lied to me. Come on. No wonder I have some trust issues. But she asked me, don't you feel bad that you hurt the dog? And I said, no. I do not feel bad that I hurt the dog. She said, wouldn't you feel bad if he died? I'm like, well, yeah, but it's all right to hit him a little bit. See, I did not like being told no. As you saw, I went and pouted and stuck my butt out with my Santa stockings on and like gave her the hip because I didn't like being told no. I did not like being told that my inner thoughts or my inner feelings or my justifications were wrong. I did not like being told that I did not know best, that I didn't need to just think about what's best for me, but I also had to think about what's best for things like Spike, even though I didn't like Spike. I still don't like Spike. He's dead now, and I still have got some bitterness towards me. That's besides the point. Let's continue. Many of us are like my younger self. We don't like to be told no. We don't want to deny ourselves. We want what we want and when we want it, and we do not want anyone to get in the way of that. We have this inner desire to oppose anything that doesn't seem natural or anything that goes against our best interests or anything that's uncomfortable. We want life to be as easy as possible. See, we want the easy road. We want to give ourselves everything that we want. If we're honest, we don't want the hard road. We want a life full of yeses and void of noes. We want to forge our own path, do as we please, and for our lives to be dictated solely by our desires with no outside forces. Tonight we're beginning our final sermon series entitled The Cost of Discipleship. This series has been brewing in my heart for a year. And when I say a year, I mean exactly a year. March 30th, 2020, I started this book written by an old dead guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. Exactly one year ago today, I started this book. Thank you for Goodreads. I figured that out. Goodreads is a website. You should check it out. 
Anyways, a year ago today, we were in the middle of the pandemic. It had just started. I remember thinking, I bet by middle of April we're back to normal. I was a little bit wrong. But I started this book, and God started putting things in my heart as I read this book. See, in that season, I hadn't taken over as the Chi Alpha director yet, but I knew I was going to. And so I started to vision and think, what is Kyle for you and I going to look like as we, Taylor and I, step into our leadership position? And I knew that I wanted the truths of this book to permeate our Kyle Alpha. I wanted a Kyle Alpha that was willing to be radically, radically obedient to Jesus. And there's some things in this book that are a little radical. I'll be honest. This is the most convicting book I've ever read, or the book that has made me feel the worst about myself. You're like, why did I come tonight? This is joyful. I gave you the fun part now, all right? Dessert came first. It was fat baby Derek. (laughs) But this book flipped my world upside down. It made me realize just how far from Jesus that I actually am. See, Bonhoeffer dies in this idea where he says that grace is costly. He argues the difference between what he calls cheap grace and costly grace, and we're going to dive into that a little bit tonight. He then jumps into Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells us what it looks like to follow Jesus. He tells us what discipleship is. He teaches us that discipleship, or just the journey of becoming more like Jesus, costs us something. We're going to dive into that cost over these next four weeks. But tonight we're going to just kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of our time in this book. We're going to be looking at a single verse in Scripture tonight. Usually we get a little bit where we just got one verse tonight. And that's in Luke 9.23. You don't have to turn there because there's only one verse that will be on the screen. It says this, Luke 9, 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I pray that you just speak to us about the cost of discipleship, God, and that we can just see how much you love us, but how high you've called us, God. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you get one thing tonight, it is this. This is our main idea. We must die to self so that we can live to Christ. We must die to self so that we can live to Christ. Get that tattooed on your forehead. That'd be kind of fun. Going up to new strangers. Hey, you want to come to bring your friend night next week? We can die to self and live to Christ. Haha, I could have gotten more than a pity laugh over there. Thank you, Jacob. You gave me the pity laugh. That's why I love him. We got to get him a reserved spot right there. Jesus' first command to us in this is to deny ourselves. I'll be honest, I don't really like that command. In American society, we are told to never deny ourselves. We are told to do what makes us happy, to do what's best for us. But here Jesus is telling us that if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves and tell ourselves no. What does it look like to deny ourselves? Bonhoeffer says this, to deny oneself is to beware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way. Keep close to him. Self-denial is to not be aware of ourselves, but to only be aware of Jesus. If I'm honest, most of the time my thoughts are about myself, my needs, my life, my schedule. But according to Bonhoeffer, self-denial is not thinking about ourselves, but thinking about Jesus to make decisions not based on how it's going to impact my life or how it's going to help me advance down some path I want to go, but instead, with every decision we make, we think, how is this going to impact the kingdom of God? To do what's best for Jesus means that we do what's best for other people because Jesus seemed to care a lot about other people, right? 
Jesus valued others over himself so much that he came and lived a perfect life and died on a cross for your and I's sins. He gave everything for us. That's how much he loved people. So we have to ask ourselves, do we love other people in the way that Jesus did? See, we're called to put others' needs before our own. Denying self is anything but self-centered. In order to deny ourselves, we must focus our attention on others above ourselves. Oh, this is fun, isn't it? Come on. Another part of denying self is denying the right to run our own lives. If we want to effectively follow Jesus, we must release control of our lives and give control to Jesus. As Bonhoeffer puts it, Jesus leads the way and I follow. This is so challenging. See, we like to put both hands on the wheel, right? We want complete control at all times. We want to control our futures, our schooling, our time, our money. We want complete control of everything, but the cost of discipleship is to release that control to Jesus and to give him the wheel. We have to let him lead us and to do what he says. Too often we want to do things the way that makes sense to us. See, we'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't contradict my culture, my preconceived notions, or my preferences. That's not following the Jesus from the Bible. That's following the fake Jesus we've created in our minds that seems pleasing to us. With Jesus, it must be take it or leave it. He's not a buffet where we get to pick and choose what we want to obey and follow. No, we're either all in or we're all out. See, it's not my way or the highway. Rather, it's Jesus' way or the highway. I want you to imagine that you're overweight and you want to get healthy. You've tried doing this on your own, but it just hasn't worked. So you decide that you're going to hire a personal trainer because you are dedicated to getting in good shape. And this personal trainer is going to give you direction, right? They're going to tell you what to eat and what not to eat. They're going to tell you what exercises to do in order to get healthy. A large part of this is going to be telling yourself no, right? You cannot go to Pizza Ranch twice a week and expect to be healthy. Believe me, I know. I've tried. That was my junior and senior year of high school. Amen. You're going to have to deny yourself. Sometimes you have to deny what seems fun in the moment in order to get the most. So if we want to get the most out of this trainer, we're going to have to tell ourselves no sometimes to listen to this trainer. You're going to need to sacrifice momentary happiness for long-term benefit. You cannot just pick and choose what advice from this trainer am I going to take, right? We can't just say, okay, trainer, I'll do the exercises you tell me to, but I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I expect to get the exact same results from you that I would if I followed all of your commandments. That doesn't make any sense. You need to buy in. If you want this trainer to have the proper impact on your life, you have to listen to them. So you've tried getting healthy doing it your own way, right? You don't go to a trainer right away. You don't get mildly overweight and decide, I'm going to spend a bunch of money on a trainer. No, you have been trying to be healthy for a while if you've gotten to getting a trainer. And you tried your own way and it doesn't work. You keep coming up short. You keep not reaching your goals. So why would you keep trying things the same way and expecting different results now that you're paying for a trainer but your lifestyle hasn't changed at all? You have to sacrifice control of your life to get where you want to. You have to give this trainer some control and listen to what they say because your way is not working, so why not trust the expert who knows better than us? This is just like our relationship with Jesus, see? We can't just put Jesus as Lord on our Instagram bios but not treat Jesus like he's Lord in our lives. When he tells us to obey him and deny ourselves, he might just be smarter than us. God is not dumb. 
Trying things in our own way tends to lead to failure. So why not give the master trainer complete control over our lives and deny ourselves control and release the wheel because we fail and we try to control everything? This practically looks like saying no to our flesh or our sinful desires. Just because you want to do something or it feels right or feels like a part of who you are does not necessarily mean it's God's best for you. Just because you've been doing something the same way for your whole life does not mean it's right. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all else. We don't actually know best. In our culture, we're told to trust our guts, right? Go with our instincts. But we're not always correct. The only thing that we can trust to truly guide our lives is Jesus and the Bible. And that's why I choose to obey the Bible even when it doesn't make sense or feel right. See, because I want to relinquish control to Jesus because he, if he's truly the God of the universe who created all things, he probably knows better than I do because he's the master. So I'm going to deny myself this control and trust him because if I believe that God is real, And then I believe that God is all good, so he's good, and he's all-knowing. So God is real, he's all good, and he's all-knowing. That probably means he knows what's best for me, right? So if we believe God is all good and all-knowing, we should probably trust him with control of our lives because he's good and he knows everything. Too often we trust ourselves when we've done nothing to earn this trust. We need to trust the all-knowing God to earn our lives because he's God. The Bible says that the Bible is breathed from God, that the Bible is the ultimate authority of God, right? So that's why we listen to the Bible. That's why we challenge you to read your Bibles every day because the Bible is a kind of our, it's our key. It's our map showing us how to follow Jesus best. So when the Bible says that I need to deny my sexual desires, I say I'm going to choose to deny my natural sexual desires. Even though they're natural inner attractions, I choose to trust God and practice sex in the way that he has designed, which is with my wife Taylor. I do this because God is smarter than I am and he knows what's best for a healthy sexual life. Even though it goes against my natural wants, even though it goes against what I think feels right in the moment, I choose to trust God because he's smarter than me. This means I deny myself the right to be angry, to be judgmental or rude to people. Even when in my eyes they deserve my anger, just like Spike. When people tick me off, I want to get mad at them. I feel like I'm justified. However, the Bible tells me that I need to be merciful and slow to anger. So we should try our best to do that, right? Even when we feel justified in our anger, we trust God and say, I'm going to give grace. Believe me, I'm far from perfect in all these areas. But what we do need to do is strive to deny ourselves and give control of what's right or wrong. We need to give control of what actions we take or do not take to Jesus and let him have control because we trust him. That is discipleship. Discipleship is trying to be like Jesus by doing the things that Jesus says to do. To sum this up, we need daily denial of self. And instead of trusting our own hearts for what is best, we need to trust God to know what's best. And that's the first way we die to self and live to Christ. After Christ tells us to deny ourselves, he goes to the next point when he says we need to pick up our crosses daily. In this time, everyone would have known what this meant. When someone picked up a cross, they were on a one-way ticket to being killed for what they had done. There's actually no known evidence of anyone ever surviving a crucifixion or being killed on a cross. No one ever survived it. 
So it wasn't like they were picking up their cross to have a chance at death. It was a guarantee. They knew what was going to happen. And Jesus tells us here to pick up our cross daily. What does that mean? What does it mean to die to self? So part of this is giving up control like we just talked about, but another part is dying to our old way of living. Once you come into relation with Jesus, you are forgiven of sin because of the grace of God. You do not earn your grace, right? We do not earn our salvation. God gives it to us as a free gift. Amen. That's great news. Jesus did all the works. We do not earn it through our actions. However, if we truly do what Jesus said and die to our old selves, we would not want to keep living to the old way because we want to live to something new. When you give your life to Jesus, you are practically saying, my old way of living was not good, so I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try your way. So when Jesus calls us, when we give our lives to Jesus, he is saying effectively to come and die. Die to the old and live to the new, because what I have for you is so much better than what you're trying to do on your own. This Friday, we are going to celebrate Good Friday, right? We'll have a service at church. We'd love to have you there. We're going to celebrate the day that Jesus went up on a cross and he died for our sins. See, our sins should lead to judgment because God God is good, and since he is good, he must be just. So God is a God of justice, so our sins, our mistakes, justly deserve a penalty. Just like a murderer justly deserves to be in prison for his life, our sins, our mistakes justly deserve a penalty. However, Jesus died on a cross to pay that penalty for us. And we're going to celebrate that on Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we get to celebrate that Jesus rose from the grave. That Jesus himself conquered death. That Jesus conquered evil. And it's going to be a celebration on Sunday. That we can have new life through the blood of Jesus. That's amazing news that we're going to celebrate. However, without death, there is no resurrection. Without Good Friday there can possibly be no Easter. So if we want to live to a new self, if we want to be like God, if we want to be holy, we have to die to our old self. They cannot both coexist. In order for us to live a new life to Jesus, we must die to the old self so we can pick up our cross daily and live to a new Jesus-centered self. So if you want to be holy, you have to die to the old to live to the new. And notice that he says daily here. He does not say pick up your cross once. It's not like you stand up one day and say, I'm going to live to Jesus now. I'm holy and perfect forever. That's not how it works, unfortunately. It's a daily decision of saying, no, my sin, the bad things inside of me, I'm going to say no to those and say yes to Jesus. Every day we must consciously make a decision to follow Jesus. We won't be perfect. I'm still very sinful. I get angry. I get prideful. I lack patience. However, in those moments, what we are called to do is to ask for forgiveness and try to do better the next time. We can't just keep doing the same things over and over again, but we must try to get better. So why are we called to pick up our cross and die daily? Why would we want to go through this? It doesn't sound like a very fun thing. Well, it's because grace is costly. We live in a world of what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. This grace doesn't cost anything. You can do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. God's going to forgive you, so do whatever you want. That's what American culture tells us is true. However, Bonhoeffer says this, that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline. It is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. That, Jesus, or that cheap grace is worth nothing because it packs no punch. It has no meaning. The grace that we receive through Jesus 
is anything but cheap. Bonhoeffer says this, grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God, cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. Listen to this. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our lives, but delivered him up for us. Grace and forgiveness cost God everything. It ought to cost us something too. This dichotomy of costly grace is absolutely beautiful. See, it's a high call. It's the call to die to self, to live to Christ, to pick up our crosses, to die to our own desires, our own way, our own goals. But in sacrificing these things, we get the opportunity to experience forgiveness in the name of Jesus and live a true, meaningful life. See, a life that doesn't cost anything is not worth living. In the TV show, The Office, really big change of direction there, just roll with me. So in the TV show, The Office, the main character, Michael Scott, has multiple love interests throughout the show. At one point in the show, he's putting on a casino night for his office. As he gets excited, he realizes he wants a date to the casino night, so he calls up his boss, Jan, and says, Jan, you should come to casino night with me. Jan declines, so he hangs up. And then he calls, he starts talking to his realtor, Carol. He's like, hey, Carol, you should come to this casino night. And before she gets a chance to answer, he gets a call from his boss, Jan. So he has to click over, right? It's his boss. Jan then accepts his invitation. So Michael has acquired one date to the casino night. Awesome for Michael. He then hangs up on Jan, to which he goes back to Carol. And Carol, who he had just invited to the casino night, accepts his offer. He's up to two dates to one casino night. Michael's a little stressed. He gets to the casino night. He greets the first one. Then the second one comes, and he spends his night trying to balance both love interests, right? He's trying to make Jan happy and Carol happy. He's trying to be both dates. And he comes to this point and realizes that this isn't going to work very well. Eventually, this tension is too strong. So Michael tells Jan, Jan, I'm with Carol. Suck it up. Too often we're like Michael. Let's say that Jan in our lives is like our, ourselves before Jesus. When we did things that were not honoring to Jesus, when we were prideful and angry and we lived to just please ourselves, when all we want to do is satisfy our desires. That's Jan. And then we've got Carol. Carol's our new godly self that comes to Chi Alpha. We want to read our Bibles. We want to be patient. We want to be loving. We want to help out our friends. We want to be a good, holy person. We want to honor God. See, sometimes I feel like we try to be like Michael and try to have two dates. So we want to satisfy our own desires, right? We want to still do those things because they're kind of fun. But then we also want to be this holy, godly self over here. And we're trying to balance these two things and it doesn't work. You cannot have two dates at the casino night. It's too much tension. It's too hard. You can't balance both lives. They're on two ends of the spectrum. We cannot be with both Jan and Carol. We cannot be our old sinful selves where we have control of our lives and be a new godly person who is giving Jesus control. We cannot both control our lives. One has to die. Either Jan or Carol had to go. 
See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that the old is gone and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. For the old self has passed away so I can live to a new self. The old must die so the new can live. So how do we pick up our crosses and die daily? We do this by making daily choices to put Jesus and others above ourselves. And picking up a cross hurts. It's heavy. It's got wood. It's got splinters. I hate splinters. I used to get them all the time in the playground. I hated them so much. Anyways, that's irrelevant. Picking up a cross is anything but easy, but it's definitely worth it. Jesus is worth every momentary pain we suffer because Jesus has the end in mind. This means we don't live to our own gains, but we live solely for the purposes of Christ. This means trusting Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Choosing to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. It's kind of easy to follow God when life's going really easy, right? When life gets a little tough, when our classes start to get overwhelming, when our girlfriend or boyfriend dumps us, when our friends seem to go away, it gets a little bit harder to follow Jesus. Picking up our crosses, choosing to trust Jesus no matter what our, our situations are. Something that I see a lot is people start following Jesus and they've got friends that are still partying, they're sleeping around, and they're living to, lit, to satisfy their own desires. And they're like, why do they seem so happy, but I have to tell myself no, and I'm sad. Picking up our cross daily is choosing to say, that no, God knows better. God's got the end in mind, and I'm going to have faith to trust him. Picking up our cross daily is surrendering to his will for our lives. If God calls us to change majors, we pick up our cross and change majors. If God calls us to break off a relationship even though we don't want to, we pick up our crosses and obey him. If God calls us to be nice to and even befriend that person in class that annoys the heck out of us, we pick up our cross and invite him to bring a friend night. Amen? I'm excited for that cross. If God calls you to live in the dorms as an upperclassman because you'll have more of an opportunity to meet new people, you pick up your cross and you follow him, even though it's not necessarily fun. Ooh, that one's not as fun. No, it's got dirty looks. Like, I hate the dorms. I don't want to live in Shoal. It's smelly. That smell is the smell of the Lord. If God calls us to give up our lifelong dream of being a teacher, being a businesswoman, or being a doctor to pursue ministry or the mission field, we pick up our cross. If God calls you to be a small group leader, even though it's hard, it's time-consuming, it's self-sacrificing, even though come February, that little freshman that you've given your life to is going to become a butt, you pick up your cross and you follow Jesus daily because it's worth it. We're about to see so many small group leaders rising up from here, left and right. Pow, pow, they're coming. Picking up our crosses. They freaking men. We pick up our cross because Jesus picked up the ultimate cross for us. We must deny ourselves and pick up our crosses to understand the cost of discipleship. And then he says to follow him. To follow someone means you have exclusive attachment to them. Think of this. If I'm standing here and one person's going that way and another person's going that way, I cannot possibly follow both, right? I must pick one. I cannot split in half and go two ways. That would be kind of cool. Can't do that, though. See, too often, we seek Christianity without Christ. See, we love the community. We love the feelings we get during music. We like church. We like the people. We like to feel religious or to feel better than, our, than other people. However, when we are challenged to actually change our lives, to actually obey Jesus and do hard things, to actually go on the path of discipleship, we shy away. That is Christianity without Christ. I'll be honest, I have zero interest in Christianity 
without Christ. I have zero interest in empty religion. I want to follow the God of the Bible, even when it's hard, because Jesus is the whole reason we do any of this. When Jesus says to follow him, he's meaning two things, I think. First off, he's saying to be with me. You can't follow someone without being with them. What does being with Jesus look like in our modern context? It looks like what we call real devotion, right? If you've been here for more than three weeks, God, I hope you know what that term means. If not, that's okay. I failed. Real devotion means we spend time with Jesus every day. So how do we be with Jesus? We spend time in prayer. We live a life full of prayer, talking and communing with God. It means we read our Bibles every single day as an opportunity to be with Jesus, and we develop this real devotion. We get to know Jesus. The only way to get to know Jesus, unfortunately, he's not sitting here right now, but he is in the Bible. So as we read the Scriptures, we get to know the heart of God. You cannot follow someone you do not know, right? You have to know them to follow them. And how do you get to know them? By developing a real devotional life and spending time with Jesus every day. After we get to know him, we have to obey him. Bonhoeffer says this, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. In order to be saved from our sins, to spend eternity with God, all we have to do is believe that Jesus is Lord and he will forgive us our sins. All we have to do is believe. We don't have to do anything to earn it. However, obedience will follow belief. If we truly believe, we will obey. If we truly have faith in Jesus, we will obey him because he is our Lord. Belief without obedience doesn't make sense. If you believe he is the God of the universe, if you believe he is Christ and knows best, we will do what he says because we will believe he is smarter than us. For example, if LeBron James comes in here and tells me to shoot a basketball a certain way, I'm going to do it because he's the best basketball player to ever walk the planet. Amen. Got to get to dig in there a little bit. This does not mean we're perfect. Hear me. God does not expect perfection. But what it does mean, it means we're on a journey of trying to be like Jesus. We are trying our best to obey him. Bonhoeffer says that for faith is only real when there's obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Again, we must remember that we don't earn salvation, right? I'm not telling you that you have to earn divine brownie points from God and do certain things to earn it. If we had to earn our way to Jesus, we could never do it because we're not good enough. Only through the grace of God can we live to Christ. So we can't, like, convert ourselves or save ourselves, but we can play a part. When Jesus walked the earth, he had 12 disciples or followers or friends, one of which was named Peter, and Peter was like the top dog. Peter was a fisherman, and when Jesus came to Peter, and Peter said, I want to follow you, God. I want to follow you, Jesus. Peter was told by Jesus that he was saved and forgiven, but he also told him to drop his nets to drop his fishing pole. Bonhoeffer says that although Peter cannot achieve his own conversion, he can leave his nets. We can obey Jesus and drop all the follow him. We do not save ourselves, but we are obedient to what he tells us in the scriptures. We do the things he says to do, and we don't do the things he says not to do. The question that we often get is, what if I don't feel like it? What if I don't feel full of faith? What if I have doubts? What if I'm, if I'm being honest... I don't want to obey Jesus. I want to do things my way. I don't have the right heart. Maybe we feel like I don't have the right motives or feelings, so why would I do what my heart wants to sin? 
To that I say, follow Jesus even when you don't feel like it. Jesus does not say, if you have the feeling of love and you want to obey my commandments, then obey my commandments. No, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. There's nothing about feeling in that equation. We're not always going to feel it. But obey God anyways. Your lack of faith is not because God's mad at you or because God hasn't given to you or because there's something wrong with you. Maybe your lack of faith or feeling is because of some disobedience that you need to give to God first. Maybe there's something you're holding back. Don't worry about if you're not feeling it in the moment because we can't actually really control our feelings a whole lot, right? All we can control is our actions. So do the things the Bible says to do and trust that God is good and that God is in control and that he's working on your heart. He'll get there. God doesn't expect you to change on a dime, right? You've been living to this old self for 18, 19, 20, 25 years, and now you wake up a day and you say, I want to live to this new self. God does not expect you to die to yourself in one minute. That's why he says to pick up your cross daily. God's not in any rush, so why are we? Trust God that it's a process, and as we continually choose Jesus and try to be obedient, God is going to do the rest and help you die to the old self to live to the new self. Bonhoeffer says this, that if you believe, take the first step. It leads to Jesus. If you don't believe, take the first step. All the same, for you are bidden to take it. No one wants to know about your faith or unbelief. Your orders are to perform the act of obedience on the spot. Man, you can come up. It's pretty intense, right? It's very, very challenging. It's very convicting for me as I wrote it and as I'm Saying it, dying to self sounds really harsh. So as I share all this, I don't want you to think that God's on a hill ready to smite you. It can be easy when we read things like this to think God's mad at us. God's not sitting up there saying the moment that you disobey me or don't trust my ways or have a moment of doubt, I'm going to come and punish you. No, that is not the heart of God We must remember that there are two sides to costly grace. There is a cost, right? There is a cost of discipleship, but there's also grace. God loved us so much that he sent his only son for us. See, God gave up his everything because he loves us so much. And what he asks for us in return is to trust him. To trust him when things seem hard or when they go against what we want. However, the beauty of following Jesus is most of the time when we choose to take the hard road, when we get to the end of that, when we choose to make tough decisions that seem really not fun in the moment, when we turn around and look back at our lives, we realize that this was the best road because God's not dumb. Obeying Jesus is hard in the moment, but I promise you that if you will live a life of obedience to Jesus and do as he says, when you get to the end of your days, you will not look back with regret because you'll have done what your creator created you to do. God created you. He knows how your life should run. Too often we hear of people who are at the end of their time and they, they just have so much regret. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I lived too much for myself. No one's ever on their deathbed saying, man, I wish I would have got drunk more. Man, I wish I would have had sex with more women. Man, I wish I would have been more prideful. Oh, I wish I would have been more angry. That would have been so much fun if I would have screamed at more people. No, they say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have bought into the cost of Jesus a little bit sooner. I wish I would have trusted God with my life sooner. 
beauty of where we're at is we're all pretty young. And we can change this now. See, these ungodly things, they always tend to come up short, right? When people go out and get drunk on the weekends, they don't usually wake up the next morning and say, wow, I'm so glad I have a pounding headache. That was so much fun. When people do whatever they want sexually, it never satisfies. It always comes up short because, see, Tinder can never accomplish what marriage was created to accomplish. Tinder is going to leave you feeling empty because God created sexual desires to be fulfilled in one place and one place only, and that is marriage. Doing these things again, they can be fun in the moment, but they never fully fulfill. Because the reason that we follow Luke 9.23 is because of what God says in Luke 9.24 and 25. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will save it. If we gain the whole world but lose our souls, we lose everything. If we want hope, if we want to save our lives, we must be willing to sacrifice it for Jesus. Only then will we find a life worth living. Maybe you're here and you've been trying to live life your own way. You haven't been following Jesus at all. And it's not working. I would venture to bet that you might be striving. You might be a little tired. Maybe you're just over it. You need something new in your life. You can't keep doing it on your own. Or maybe you've been following Jesus and you want to be like Jesus. You really do. But it's really hard. Maybe that's because you've been trying to satisfy two worlds. You've been trying to live to this old self and still satisfy the inner desires that you have in your heart, but also live to this new godly self. See, it's too much tension. We have to either be all in or all out. And until we jump all in, we are never going to die to old self and kick the old self away because it's not fun. We have to die to the old self to live to the new self. And until we realize that, until we quit trying to live a double life, we will never be satisfied because it does not work. Maybe it's not big, bunch of worldly sins we talk about, right? Maybe there's just one thing that you're holding back from God. Maybe there's one act of obedience that God has asked you to do. Maybe he's asked you to change a major. Maybe he's asked you to move. Maybe he's asked you to do a, just be nice and make a friend. We cannot hold anything back from God because he deserves our all. Maybe there's just one cross left that you need to pick up. Or maybe you've tried to obey Jesus and you try to do all these right things, but it feels like it's never good enough feel like there's always more. feel like you're not good enough. And that's not what Jesus wants either. We need to realize that this isn't about trying to meet some weird line of being good enough. It's just about us trying to die to the ways of the world so we can live to the ways of Jesus. And in recognizing this, we'll realize that we're never good enough, that we need grace. And this should drive us to thankfulness as we realize the costly price that Jesus paid, and it'll drive us to love Jesus even more. And it creates a cycle. We put that up there. See, we try to live like Jesus. And then we come up short and we fail to be like Jesus because we are not perfect. 
So then it drives us to the bottom where it says we realize how much we need the grace of Jesus. When we try to live like Jesus and we realize that, wow, I have failed, we realize just how good God is and how much grace I need and we realize how good Jesus is. And as we realize just how good this Jesus is that paid the cost for my sins, we try to be like Jesus. And the cycle repeats. And in this process, this process called discipleship, we start to look a little bit more like Jesus every time. Every rotation, we're a little bit more like Jesus. Then we come to the end of our day, still not perfect, but closer to Jesus. That is the cost of discipleship. We must realize that we cannot do it on our own, that we need the grace of our King, our Jesus. But when we realize that Jesus is good, we realize that He is worth denying ourselves. He is worth picking up our crosses for he's worth following because he's the God of the universe and he knows best. You'd all stand with me. We have two ways for you to respond tonight. If you're in this room and if you're honest, you haven't been following Jesus at all. Maybe you once did and you've stopped or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. And the way we do that here at Chi Alpha is everyone's going to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand, not as an act to me or the people around you, but as an act to God of obedience, a cost to pay to say, Jesus, I'm all in. So I'm going to count to three. And if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, I challenge you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you for paying such a high cost so we can pay just such a little one, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for our new brothers and sisters in the kingdom of you, Father. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The second question I have for us is if you're honest with yourself, you've been living a life of cheap grace, right? You've been saying you're a Christian, but you've also been trying to live to your old self. And if you want to commit to starting the process of dying to your old self and living to your new self, I'm going to challenge you right now to raise your hands to Jesus, to raise your hands up and say, God, I'm going to live to you. So that's you, just raise your hands. We, I'm going to pray as we go into this next song. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you. God, I pray that we can be a people who count the cost of discipleship and do whatever it takes to be like you, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen.